Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we produce and develop the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And today, we're talking about some mm, unlikely duos, I think is the best way to kind of describe this in the first iteration of the game uh, that we're obviously talking about today, where you bring more of a mm, quote-unquote mature property, I guess is one of the better ways to say it, into a property that's for all. And of course, today we're talking about Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts was really fascinating at the time that it came out. I didn't have a PS2 growing up. This game made me want to get a PS2. It just looked so fun. The limited chances that I got to play it were at friends' houses and things like that. And I mean, who doesn't want to take Donald Duck and Goofy into combat? You know, that's not a question that I think before 2002 anyone really asked, <laughs> but, but with Square and Disney coming together to bring basically Final Fantasy into the world of Disney, or Disney into the world of Final Fantasy, if someone to say it that way, was, I think, a question that has been answered and been answered for years to come as we see a number of Kingdom Hearts coming out for portable systems, consoles, and now finally expanding out of kind of this exclusive Sony deal at the beginning to kind of every facet of the universe. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts, what's really great about it, beyond just the, the silliness of the entire concept of the game, is that this really allowed, I think, an opportunity for people that grew up watching Disney shows and movies mm -hmm. to be able to sort of explore those worlds for the first time. And I think yes. that was the most attractive part about this game. And of course, yeah, it has those RPG elements and, and those classic Final Fantasy little influences that went into this game as well that made it more than just a Disney game because I, mm -hmm. those games definitely existed. So this allowed, like you said, a little bit of a maturity to make its way into a Disney property, which made it really appealing, I think, to a very wide audience. Obviously, Kingdom Hearts has a lot of fans and has continued to be successful, and there's a lot of good reasons for that, but let's get into it. Absolutely. So Kingdom Hearts is a 2002 action role-playing video game developed by Square for the PlayStation 2 video game console. It is the first game in the Kingdom Hearts series and is the result of a collaboration between Square and the Walt Disney Company. An expanded re-release of the game featuring new and additional content, Kingdom Hearts Final Remix, was released exclusively in Japan in December of 02. The Final Mix version of the game was later remastered in high definition 
and released globally as a part of the Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix collection for the PlayStation 3, PS4, Xbox One, Windows, and Nintendo Switch. The game combines characters and settings from Disney animated features with those from Square's Final Fantasy series, in addition to original characters and worlds created for the game. It follows the adventures of Sora, a cheerful teenager who fights against the forces of darkness alongside Donald Duck, Goofy, and other Disney characters. The game was a departure from Square's standard role-playing games, introducing a substantial action and -and hack-and-slash element to the gameplay. The score was composed by Yoko Shimomura, and Kingdom Hearts has an all-star voice cast as well, and includes many of Disney's characters' official voice actors. It was longtime Square character designer Tetsuya Nomura's first time in a directorial position. And as most of us know, Kingdom Hearts received critical and commercial success and was praised for its unusual combination of action and role-playing, its unexpectedly harmonious mix of Square and Disney elements, and Shimomura's music. It was a large presence in the 2002 holiday season, receiving numerous year-end game awards, and went on to achieve Sony greatest hits status. The game's success spawned a franchise and numerous sequels, with the Kingdom Hearts series going on to ship over 35 million copies worldwide and becoming one of Square's most popular franchises. Kingdom Hearts is the 10th best-selling PlayStation 2 game of all time and is considered by some to be one of the greatest video games of all time. I'm sure if you looked hard enough, most games would hit that criteria. (laughs) But Kingdom Hearts legitimately is. I mean, it legitimately was a phenomenon when it came out. Like I said, for me, it was a big draw toward the PlayStation 2 as a console because up until that point, I hadn't really seen a lot on the PS2 personally, just at the age that I was at, that interested me a lot up until this game. And I mean, having those little details that they did getting the actual voice actors for a lot of those characters mm-hmm. really made this game feel like an authentic Disney product which of course right now Disney is everywhere in our lives you cannot escape yes. it they own so many properties now but back then it was really like there was Disney World and they sure they had like maybe some more adult projects, but for the most part was centered around these characters and the universes that they had built within Disney themselves and their own IPs and ideas from way back when and the foundation of the company. So to have this, I think, insider look into what else is going on in those worlds is really cool and really unique. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head right there because, you know, all of us for the most part, grew up, I wouldn't say as a Disney kid, but influenced by Disney media, influenced by those characters. And yeah, it's, it's always satisfying to be able to explore a world that you have not been able to quote-unquote tangibly touch. Obviously, we're still in a game, but being able to like see that world and move around myself without having just what the animators created for it is really neat and and it really builds an experience and i think that's one of the huge reasons that we do see you know kingdom hearts make 18,000 other games <laughs> with the most confusing titles available 
But that's really why we do see something coming out of that. I mean, it really is these cool little things. One of the early levels that you go to is like Tarzan's world. And you go there Mm -hmm. and it's not just meeting Tarzan and the other characters. It's going in the tents and seeing what's actually in those tents. Little details that are obviously in the movie. If you go back and watch it, they have their little campsite and you get to see a little bit of that. But like you said, just having the control over what areas you wanted to go into i think was really fun and of course you know all the the sliding around on the trees and whatever else exactly so let's talk about the studio square originated in october 1983 as a computer game software division of den yusha a power line construction company owned by the father of masafumi miyamoto the eventual founder of square co limited in 1986 While at the time, game development was usually conducted by only one programmer, Masafumi Miyamoto believed that it would be more efficient to have graphic designers, programmers, and professional story writers working together. Square's first two titles were The Death Trap and its sequel, Will, The Death Trap 2, both designed by part-time employee Hironobu Sakaguchi and released on the NEC PC-8801. Despite an initial reluctance to develop for video game consoles, Square entered the Nintendo Famicom market in December 1985 with the porting of Thexter. In September 1986, Square spun off from Denyu Sha and became an independent company officially named Square Co. Limited. Sakaguchi then became a full-time employee as the director of planning and development of the company. After releasing several unsuccessful games for the Famicom, Square relocated to Ueno, Tokyo in 1987 and developed a role-playing video game titled Final Fantasy, inspired by Enix's success with a game titled Dragon Quest, which was later released in North America as Dragon Warrior. With 400,000 copies sold, Final Fantasy spawned multiple sequels over the years and became Square's leading franchise. Square has also made other widely known games, such as Chrono Trigger, Secret of Mana, Legend of Mana, Brave Fencer Mushashi, Parasite Eve, Saga Frontier, Vagrant Story, Kingdom Hearts as we know, and the Super Mario RPG. By late 1994, they had developed a reputation as a producer of high-quality role-playing video games. Square was one of the many companies that had planned to develop and publish its games for the Nintendo 64. However, with the cheaper costs of developing games on CD-based consoles, such as the Sega Saturn and the PlayStation, Square decided to develop titles for the latter system. Final Fantasy VII was one of those games, and it went on to sell 9.8 million copies, becoming the second best-selling game for the PlayStation. On February 8, 2001, due to its first quarterly loss since going public, the company implemented a restructuring plan for its Japanese corporate staff. Three key figures were moved around in the company ranks, resigning from their current positions to take responsibility for the losses and reassign to different positions. Sakaguchi would no longer be vice president and would instead be known as an executive producer. Additionally, company president Tomoyuki Takichi became a contractual consultant for the company with director Masashi Hiramutsu taking the role of executive consultant. So all this to say, they basically took the blame for it Got restructured around, basically got fired, but were still implemented in producing the content that was coming out of it. 
I find the executive producer role so fascinating because it can be either the best thing or the worst thing. It's mm-hmm. either you've been moved to a position where we don't really want you to have any kind of say or actual influence on the things that we're doing, but we respect you enough to where we know that we can't say that we don't have any help from you at all. Yes. Or it could mean I am getting paid for doing no work. This is the sweetest gig in the world. And yeah, please slap my name, executive producer, on everything. Yeah, and, and, and especially in movie terms, it's usually who was our biggest financial backer? Right. <laughs> Who's going to make a good chunk out of this? Is basically where you get that executive producer roles as well. Absolutely. Or it's like, this actor was so famous and busy that they were never going to do this project unless we made them a producer. So yep. yeah, they had such a, such a say. Thank you. Thank you, Ben <laughs> Affleck. You did it. <laughs> did it. A merger between Square and its competitor Enix was in consideration since at least 2000. However, the financial failure of Square's first movie, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within, made Enix hesitant to join with a company that was losing money. With the company in its second year of financial loss, Square approached Sony for a capital injection, and on October 8, 2001, Sony purchased an 18.6% stake in Square to bandage its loss. In an interview with GIA.com in 2001, when asked, are you ever worried that Square will become too heavily dependent on the Final Fantasy name, Sakaguchi responded, avoiding that has actually been one of Square's goals for a long time. It is our aim to try and develop a few more major franchises for the company. That has always been on our minds. On November 26, it was reported that Square CEO Hisashi Suzuki was to step down as the company's president and that COO Yoichi Wada was to replace him in December with a restructuring plan for the company. On May 28, 2002, it was detailed that in Wada's restructuring of the company that, quote, while Square formally took a development style where teams were formed and dispersed per project, developers will now be fixed into divisions. Source codes and resources will be shared for efficiency, and employees will receive varying bonuses depending on the profit of their division. By settling developers into groups, Square also aims for the developers to reuse the titles they have developed, making game development more cost-efficient. Development costs, originally 2 to 3 billion yen, are expected to fall to 1 billion yen. Also, the company revealed plans to release two Final Fantasy X spin-offs that would later become Final Fantasy X2. Following the success of both Final Fantasy X and Kingdom Hearts, the company recovered its stability and recorded the highest operating margin in its history in fiscal year 2002. It was announced on November 25, 2002 that Square and Enix's previous plans to merge were to proceed officially. As described by Yoichi Wada, Square has also fully recovered, meaning this merger is occurring at a time when both companies are at their height. Despite this, some shareholders had doubts about the merger, notably Square's founder and largest shareholder, Masafumi Miyamoto, who would find himself holding significantly less if the two RPG behemoths were to go ahead with the deal. Other criticisms came from Takashi Oya of Deutsche Securities, who expressed doubts about the benefits of such a merger. Enix outsources game development and has few in-house creators, while Square does everything by itself. The combination of the two provides no negative factors that would bring little in the way of operational synergies, he said. 
Masafuma Miyamoto's issue was eventually resolved by altering the exchange ratio of one square share for 0.81 Enix shares, thus greenlighting the merger, and Square Enix formed on April 1st, 2003. Again, this is another episode that we've done recently where some big, big stuff happens on April Fool's Day. You got to stop doing it. No one's going to take you seriously. <laughs> but some may say like this was one of the best mergers that we've kind of seen in gaming development. Obviously, we have a lot of stuff going on with Microsoft right now, just gobbling up companies. But getting Square Enix to come together spawns so many different series that we see within Tales, within Final Fantasy, within Chrono. Like We just see so much coming out of Square Enix. And them even taking on a lot of, you know, developmental and publishing rights for a lot of RPGs. So this was kind of like that RPG powerhouse of the early 2000s that's still around and thriving today. So let's jump to specifically back to where we were. You know, that was, that was our segment, our miniature podcast within a podcast about Square and Enix. But let's talk about Kingdom Hearts, specifically what Square did with them to bring them to light. So the initial idea for Kingdom Hearts began with a discussion between Shinji Hashimoto and Hironobu Sakaguchi about Super Mario 64. They were planning to make a game with freedom of movement in three dimensions like Super Mario 64, but lamented that only characters as popular as Disney's could rival a Mario game. Tetsuya Nomura, overhearing their conversation, volunteered to lead the project, and the two producers agreed to let him direct. A chance meeting between Hashimoto and a Disney executive in an elevator, and Square and Disney have previously worked together in the same building in Japan, allowed Hashimoto to pitch the idea directly to Disney. Listen, kids, when your professors say get your elevator pitch ready because you never know, this is why. <laughs> Noromu struck down a number of proposals from Disney in order to pursue his own concept, featuring an original character not based on a Disney property. The production team consisted of over 100 members from both Square and Disney Interactive. The game began development in February of 2000 and originally focused more on the gameplay with a simple story to appeal to Disney's target age range. After executive producer Hironobu Sakaguchi told director Tetsuya Nomura the game would be a failure if it did not aim for the same level as the Final Fantasy series, Nomura began to develop the story further. When choosing the Disney worlds to include in the game, Nomura and his team tried to pick worlds that were distinctly different looking. They also tried to take into account worlds with Disney characters that would be interesting. Thanks to support from Disney's then president and current chairman and chief executive, Bob Iger, the team had few restrictions on which worlds they could use from the Disney franchises. However, they tried to remain within each character's boundaries set by the respective Disney films. In a June 2013 interview, Nomura stated the name of the game was inspired by Disney theme parks, particularly Animal Kingdom, which had recently opened when development on the game began. However, Nomura could not secure the IP as just Kingdom. Later on, when the development team began to think about hearts as a core part of the story, it was decided to combine the two to form the title Kingdom Hearts. Outside contractors Telecom Animation's film company and Kazuhide Tomonaga helped animate the game by being the animation supervisors. Additional content was added to the North American release that was absent in the initial Japanese release. New optional bosses, one of which, 
Kurt Zisa, was named after the winner of the official website's name-in-game sweepstakes. An extra difficulty level and a teaser of Kingdom Hearts 2 accessible by meeting certain criteria were also added. Nomura included the teaser in order to gauge fan reaction to the possibility of a sequel. He felt that if the idea was unpopular, then it would be best to leave certain events in the game unexplained. The new content was later added to the Japanese re-release Kingdom Hearts Final Mix. Final Mix included further additional content, such as new items, cutscenes, and enemies. The new content further hinted at plot lines that would be explained in sequels. Some content omitted from Kingdom Hearts was later added into Kingdom Hearts 2. And a world based on the Lion King, for instance, was unfeasible because an additional program was required to process movement on four legs, a necessity since Sora would become a lion in that world. Due to time constraints, the developers left out an optional boss battle, similar to the Sephiroth battle, against Tifa Lockhart. She was later included in Kingdom Hearts 2 as a more developed character. And, and that's just the thing, is, is with development like this, you know, the first question asked, how do we rival Mario? And I love that their only idea is like, well, the only thing bigger than Mario at this current time is Disney. And that's such a, I mean, first of all, huge ups for Nintendo, and we see why their numbers are insane. Yeah. But to have that chance meeting to be like, okay, we got to pitch it to Disney that we can make this game. And for like Bob Iger to be like, yeah, I don't care. Do use whatever you want. I trust you, <laughs> I guess. Use whatever worlds you need is, yeah. is actually really big in the industry. Because as we see Disney today, having their fingers in literally every pot everywhere, they need that control on what their IP can do, can say, can be in. And this was that Wild West time of just, hey, go for it. Right. Like today, everything is very highly market researched. And so that's the end product that you're getting. They've already determined who something is for. They're going to make mm -hmm. it for that person specifically. And it's going to be very predictable success-wise. Whereas this, no one has any idea what it's going to be. Let's just see what happens. And what I find interesting about the logic in some of the development is that because they sort of, I think, knew deep down, hey, we're kind of taking a risk here. Because, yeah, Disney characters rival Mario, sure. But if we're trying to do too much, if we're setting this thing up to be a sequel, and this game doesn't do well, you know, mm -hmm. that's just going to make this game worse off because fans are going to play a game that then doesn't feel like it comes to a conclusion and we're going to end up sinking our teeth into something that no one wants. And so it sort of gives them that arm's length distance to say, hey, you know, we gave this a good shot, but it didn't work out. So let's move on to something else. And I think that's really smart to give yourself that option. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's well worth it, and obviously super paid off. So when it came to marketing and trying to figure out what this audience was gauging, Kingdom Hearts was announced at E3 in 2001. Initial details were that it would be a collaboration between Square and Disney Interactive and would feature worlds developed by both companies and include Disney characters. New characters were designed by Nomura and included Sora, Raikou, Kiri, and the Heartless. A playable demo was available at the Tokyo Game Show in 2001. The gameplay of the demo showcased many action role-playing game elements that would be included in the final product. To help market the English release of the game, 
Square launched the official website in April of 02, which featured trailers, a name and game sweepstakes as we talked about, and other internet content. On May 14th, 2002, a press release announced a list of the English voice actors. The list included Haley Joel Osment, David Gallier, and Hayden Panettiere as the three new characters introduced in the game. It also announced that many of the Disney characters would be voiced by the official voice actors from their respective Disney films. Other marketing efforts included auctions of the game and related items before the North American release and a consumer demo day in San Francisco, California. Both Square and Disney also released numerous types of merchandise before and after the release of the game. Merchandise ranged from toys and figurines to clothing items and books. Like the Final Fantasy games, Square released an Ultimania book on Kingdom Hearts in Japan following the release of the game and a revised edition following the release of Final Mix. In North America, a strategy guide was released by Brady Games, and it featured a comprehensive walkthrough and a sticker activity journal. A manga series based on the game was released in Japan and the United States. A novel series also based on the game was released in Japan, and it was authored by Tomoko Kanemaki and illustrated by Shiro Amano. The novel series consists of two volumes and was released in North America on March 25, 2008. The game was adapted into a manga by Shiro Amano, and the story follows the events that took place in the game with a few minor differences to account for the loss of interactivity a video game provides. Some events that took place in the final mix version were also included. The manga was originally serialized in Japan by Interbrain's Famitsu PS2, but has since been released worldwide in four volumes. The volumes have been published in English in the United States by Tokyopop. The first volume was released on October 11, 2005, and the fourth volume was released on July 10, 2006. The entire series was later released in a box set on October 10, 2006, and the manga series has had moderate success. The first volume was ranked 95th in USA Today's Top 150 Best Sellers during the week of its release. And IGN praised Amano's artwork and commented on wanting to replay the game after reading. But they criticized the lack of new content and stated the transition from game to print lost most of the story's appeal. The series was followed by others based on the game's sequels, Kingdom Hearts, Chain of Memories, and Kingdom Hearts 2. And so I think that that's a valid criticism for a lot of video games that get brought into other forms of media. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a very, very difficult thing to do because of that interactivity. And I think it's good to be aware of that because it works really well as an argument of game adaptations into film because mm -hmm. at the time, that was such a massive conversation. Every hit game, it was, how else can we make money from that? Maybe there's going to be a movie about it. And they just couldn't ever really get those things to work. And then obviously we didn't see them. Now we're starting to see things as television series to, I think, a mixed reaction. The Last of Us, just as at the time of this recording, has just released and so far has great reviews as a video game adaptation. But for the most part, I think that there is such a challenge in trying to take that interactivity and translate it into other forms of media and that's where I feel like video games oftentimes don't get the respect that they deserve because it's not an art form for a lot of people. It needs to be brought into what are the real art forms like movies mm -hmm. or TV shows 
or comic books or manga. Those are the real art forms. So let's get it into that, you know, and not just this video game for the kids. Yeah. And I think it's very tough. And talk about The Lost of Us, which was, you know, more of a narrative driven game, I think, than a lot of these other adaptations that we've seen. Some that are insane failures for some reason, but did, did well box office wise. But as far as, you know, sitting well with the fans, looking at you, uh, Uncharted, uh, it's, yeah. it's tough to bring that over. So, yeah, especially in this game, like trying to bring that, especially to a written word, um, it's, it's tough to do that without getting rid of the interactivity to it. Um, however, I still love to see it. I still love to see media outside of that. And I would love to see different stories, very much what riot and league of legends did with with arcane of using their characters but telling a whole different story versus just being like hey we're going to be fighting in this championship ring here we go type stuff so we know or i guess most people probably knew it up to this point the fighting style of final fantasy very much this turn-based choose your attacks or your magics or your items you're going to use and then kind of let it play out now they're going to try and bring some of that into kingdom hearts but still make it almost this action-based hack-and-slash thing. So Kingdom Hearts is obviously influenced by Final Fantasy and carries gameplay elements over into its own action-based hack-and-slash system. The main battle party consists of three characters, Sora, Donald Duck, and Goofy. Sora is directly controlled by the player from a third-person camera angle. All other party members are computer-controlled, though the player can customize their behavior to an extent through the pause menu. Donald and Goofy comprise the party in most areas, but nearly every level features a character who may replace them. For instance, Jack Skellington can join Sora's party in Halloween Town, but cannot accompany the player elsewhere. In some worlds, the party changes its appearance, has abilities unique to that world, or both. Like, such as the characters can fly in Neverland, acquire aquatic forms in Atlantica, which enables them to survive underwater, and gain Halloween costumes in Halloween Town to blend in with the locals. Like traditional role-playing games, Kingdom Hearts features an experience point system that determines character development. As enemies are defeated, the player characters gain experience and grow stronger, gaining access to new abilities. Unlike other games of its type, Kingdom Hearts allows a degree of character development customization through a short tutorial found at the beginning of the game. The tutorial allows the player to select from one of three main attributes, strength, defense, or magic, for Sora to excel in, and one to lack in. By choosing certain options, the player may manipulate how Sora learns abilities, grows statistically, and gains levels. Donald, Goofy, and any other additional party members are assigned specific areas of strength from the outset. Donald excels in magic, while Goofy excels in defense and special attacks. The game progresses linearly from one story event to the next, usually presented as a cutscene, though there are numerous side quests available that provide benefits to the characters. Players may also choose the order in which they tackle some areas. Most of the gameplay occurs on interconnected field maps where battles take place. Combat in Kingdom Hearts occurs in real time and involves pressing buttons to initiate attacks by the on-screen character. An action menu similar to those found in Final Fantasy games found at the bottom left of the screen provides other combat options such as using magic and items, although players can also assign selected magic spells that can be instantly used while holding the shoulder button. As players progress through the game, they can receive certain Disney characters as summons, 
such as Dumbo and Tinkerbell, each with their own unique abilities. There is also a context-sensitive option at the bottom of the menu, usually used for interacting with the environment or performing special attacks. This menu is manipulated by using the right analog stick or digital pad, while movement is controlled by the left analog stick, allowing the player to navigate the menu while avoiding or approaching enemies. Sora, along with his allies, both possess a hit point meter and a magic point meter, which increase as they gain experience and level up. The magic point meter is divided into various segments that are used up whenever that character performs magic, with more powerful magic consuming more magic points. They can be replenished by performing melee attacks or using items. The hit point meter determines the character's health, reducing whenever a character takes damage, although it can be replenished by using healing items or spells. Pretty standard, I think, RPG and, and most video yep. game system. Absolutely. If one of Sora's allies runs out of health, they'll be knocked out temporarily until someone heals them. However, if Sora loses all of his health, the game ends and the player must resume play from the beginning of an area or boss. So that's sort of where I think it differentiates itself, right? There's not a permanence mm -hmm. to losing the hit points. It's not a life or death thing. Um, and, and that's maybe where it Disney's it up a little bit more. Yeah, and, and having Sora as your main, you know, kind of does differ that from Final Fantasy because obviously in, in Final Fantasy games, you can have your partners go down use a phoenix down on them to bring him back but there was never depending on certain situations there was never typically like that one main character unless it was specified kind of like we have in a lot of fire emblem games right that they have to survive no matter what so so yeah having that as like the main thing so you could definitely use them as cannon fodder run away a little bit heal <laughs> and then go by them and, and pick them up if you need to yeah definitely they were uh just basically like a meat shield for you sometimes when things get Especially a little chaotic. Man. Oh, man, I let Goofy die so many times. <laughs> Sorry, Goofster. <laughs> you tried. But then, of course, there's also orbs that fall just as a reward for defeating enemies. There's green orbs that replenish health, blue orbs for the magic, yellow orbs that represent money, M-U-N-N-Y. And that's the game's currency, of course, that can be used to purchase new items. I think things like skins for the Keyblade. You can also purchase things for your gummy ship, things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you brought that up because I want to talk about the gummy ship just a bit or what the idea of it is. So the gummy ship is the mode of travel between the various worlds in the game. So obviously you're not just like walking across Halloween Town to fall into water to go down to like chat with the mermaids and whatnot. And so the gameplay for piloting the vessel is different from the rest of the game as it switches to a rail shooter format. The player controls the gummy ship from a rear third-person perspective as it travels in an outer space setting. While traveling, the player must avoid obstacles and defend against enemy ships that attempt to destroy the player's vessel by firing missiles or ramming it. Surviving the route allows access to the next world. Once the player's gummy ship is destroyed, it will have the option to either return to the world selection menu or retry the level. At the beginning of the game, there are a few options available to customize the vessel, but as the game progresses, new weapons, engines, and armor become available. Different pre-designed blueprints can be found throughout the game that can be used to quickly construct gummy ships. Geppetto also gives the player different gummy ship designs based on the number of Heartless defeated. 
From the start, the player can travel between worlds by using Normal Drive, which initiates the rail shooter-like minigame. Later in the game, Sora can acquire a Warp Drive, which allows instant travel between previously visited worlds without having to play that game. However, worlds that have not been visited, you can't use the Warp Drive. You have to do like the normal rail shooter to quote-unquote unlock it and like survive the travel. But then after that, the Warp Drive can bounce between wherever you've been. Yeah, and it's, it's a fun little thing to do. It kind of reminds me of Star Fox Adventure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure which, I think Kingdom Hearts came out before that game did. But yeah, just like a fun little space travel shooter game that just, and you can obviously like do little things that make the ship stronger, quicker, look different. I mean, the design mm-hmm. of it is not a very cool looking spaceship at all. It's very square. It's like if you cut gelatin into squares and put it on a, a plane. Basically. It's a gummy ship. Yeah, it's a gummy <laughs> ship. It doesn't lie to you about what it is. But if mm-hmm. you're if you're envisioning really really cool, like space travel, it's not really that. It's just like a fun little side thing. So the universe of Kingdom Hearts is a collection of various levels referred to as worlds, through which the player must progress. Fourteen worlds, out of which thirteen can be accessed in the game, and one Disney Castle is shown in cutscenes. Additional worlds are mentioned by various characters but are inaccessible because they have been destroyed by the Heartless. Ten Disney worlds are based on fiction, primarily from the Disney animated features canon, and the other four were created by Square specifically for the game. The graphics and characters of each world were designed to resemble the artwork style of each Disney film. Each Disney world is inhabited by characters from the film, including Hercules and Phil in Olympus Coliseum, and Aladdin, Princess Jasmine, and Jafar in Agrabah. Each world is disconnected from the others and exists separately. Most characters in the world are unaware of other ones, with few exceptions. Players travel from one world to another via the gummy ship, as we had stated. The worlds created specifically for the game mirror the overall appearance of the other worlds and feature either new characters or ones from several Final Fantasy games. The new worlds include the Destiny Islands, where the story opens, Traverse Town, which serves as a launching point for most of the game, Hollow Bastion, which many of the Final Fantasy characters call home, and the End of the World, a large, dark world created from the remnants of various worlds consumed by the Heartless. The main characters travel from world to world to seal each keyhole, and this protects the world from the Heartless and ultimately from destruction. They also try to minimize their interaction with characters of other worlds to maintain a balance of separation. This sometimes requires Sora, Donald, and Goofy to blend in with the world inhabitants by changing their physical appearance. And I remember that being just a really fun little detail that kind of happens as you go from world to world. Goofy maybe puts on a little bit of a different hat, something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're still the characters. They're not super stylized or anything too, too crazy. But yeah, they get their own little unique spin on whatever world you're in. And thematically and gameplay-wise, it's so smart because one, you get to change the characters up. So it's not just these like sore thumbs sticking out. You get to have some variation in the costuming, different ways to play the game, but also makes sense in very much that paradox of like, you don't want to meet yourself from the future. Like you never want to like do that. It's almost that idea of like, you don't want these people to know that there's other things out there besides some of these main characters that are like, hey, 
I'm the protector of this world, basically. I need your help to do this. Everyone else is just an NPC standbyer. They need to live their lives not really knowing this. Right. And so I think that's a really cool way to do it. Yeah, because Donald and Goofy are sort of acting on behalf of Mickey and Minnie, who are like mm-hmm. the rulers of the magical kingdom. And so they have this awareness of all these different worlds. But then you go to like Alice in Wonderland and they're very much self-contained. I don't think you want the Alice in Wonderland characters to <laughs> get out into the world because no. they're just going to mess with everything. Yeah, and that's it. And so kind of speaking on all those characters, I want to talk about what they did to build out our crew or our, our main Square characters, I should say. So the collaboration between Disney and Square resulted in a mixture of familiar Disney and Square characters, as well as several new characters created and designed by Tetsuya Nomura. The primary protagonist of the game is Sora, a 14-year-old boy chosen to wield the Keyblade, a weapon which is a cross between a key and a sword for battling darkness. The game also features two friends from his home world, Riku and Kari. And for most of the game, as we had said, Sora is joined by Donald Duck and Goofy. Donald, the court wizard, and Goofy, captain of the Royal Guard, are sent from Disney Castle to find the Keyblade. The three join forces to search for King Mickey Mouse, Carrie, and Riku. The primary antagonist is Ansem, who seeks power and knowledge by using dark beings called the Heartless. The Heartless, hearts corrupted by darkness, serve as most of the enemies encountered in the game, and come in a variety of shapes and sizes. Maleficent, from Sleeping Beauty, leads a group of Disney villains that seeks to use the Heartless for their own gain. As a game meant to explore the fictional universes of various Disney films, over 100 Disney characters are featured in various capacities. While many serve as major characters in the story, others appear in cameo roles, such as the 101 Dalmatians playing a part in a side quest. Most worlds also feature a Disney villain whom the player must defeat. The player can summon various Disney characters to fight alongside Sora in battle, causing Donald and Goofy to withdraw from the battlefield for the duration of the summon. Available summon characters include the genie from Aladdin, Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, and Simba from The Lion King, among others like we had said with Dumbo. Square also incorporated several characters from the Final Fantasy series into the game, though the characters were slightly altered to fit the game's backstory. On the Destiny Islands, the players meet younger versions of Titus and Waka from Final Fantasy X or Final Fantasy X, and Selfie from Final Fantasy VIII. In Traverse Town, the players encounter Squall Leonhart, also known as Leon, from Final Fantasy VIII, as well as Aerith, Sid, and Yuffie from Final Fantasy VII. Riku from Final Fantasy X was originally set to appear, but was replaced by Yuffie. Cloud and Sephiroth, both from, as we know, Final Fantasy VII, make appearances in Olympus Coliseum, where the player can fight them in tournaments. The emphasis on characters from later Final Fantasy installments stems from Nomura's hesitation to use characters he did not design. The game also uses other Final Fantasy icons, such as the Moogles, who mediate item synthesis. So yeah, I mean, it's it's bringing some of those characters that, again, should not go together between these two very distinctly different worlds but really, the way they kind of rewrote them and bring them together does mesh and makes sense for some reason. Yeah, I think that they do a pretty 
decent job because they set it up. I, I think by focusing on the beginning with Sora and the other characters, mm-hmm. it really shows you that these worlds are already going to combine to be something different, something unique. It's not going to be purely yeah. a, a Disney thing. And so just by having that set up, it makes it more believable uh, inherently that all of these other Final Fantasy characters are involved in this as well. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that story a little bit, because I, I think that that's one of the more interesting aspects of this game, because it goes beyond the typical just Disney type of storyline, I think. Absolutely. Sora, Riku, and Kairi build a raft with the intent to leave their homeworld of Destiny Islands to explore new worlds. On the night before the planned voyage, the islands are attacked by the Heartless, and Riku and Kairi disappear. Before the Heartless consume the islands, Sora mysteriously obtains the Keyblade, a weapon effective against the Heartless. Meanwhile, King Mickey has left his own world to deal with the increasing number of Heartless, leaving instructions for Donald and Goofy to find the key that will protect the worlds from the encroaching darkness. Donald and Goofy use the gummy ship to travel to Traverse Town, where they find Sora after he has drifted there from his destroyed world. The three decide to travel together, Donald and Goofy to find Mickey, and Sora to find Kairi and Riku, traveling to various worlds and sealing keyholes in the worlds that, when sealed, prevent the heart of those worlds from being consumed by the Heartless. Meanwhile, a group of Disney villains led by Maleficent seek out the seven princesses of heart to unlock the final keyhole that leads to Kingdom Hearts, a repository of knowledge and power and the source of all hearts. Maleficent also finds Riku and recruits him into her services, manipulating him into believing that Sora abandoned him. Sora and his friends eventually arrive at Hollow Bastion, Maleficent's headquarters, where Riku takes the Keyblade from Sora, revealing himself to be its intended user, with Sora only receiving it in his absence. Donald and Goofy reluctantly leave Sora as per their orders. Sora later challenges Riku, stating that his heart derives strength from his friends, inspiring Donald and Goofy to return to him and regaining control of the Keyblade. After the three defeat Maleficent, Sora finds Kairi's comatose body and confronts Riku, who is now possessed by Ansem, a figure who has been manipulating Maleficent from the beginning to open the way to Kingdom Hearts. Ansem reveals Kairi as the seventh princess of heart, her heart having transferred into Sora's body when the Destiny Islands were destroyed. After defeating the possessed Riku, Sora impales himself with Ansem's Keyblade, which is designed to unlock hearts, releasing both his and Kairi's hearts. And Kairi's heart returns to her body, in turn completing the final keyhole, while Sora becomes a heartless. Kairi recognizes Sora's heartless, and the light in her heart restores him to human form. After Kairi gives him a good luck charm, Sora and his group venture to the end of the world, the remnants of the worlds destroyed by the Heartless, to confront Ansem as he reaches the door to Kingdom Hearts. After a battle, Ansem calls upon Kingdom Hearts to aid him, believing it to be the ultimate reservoir of darkness. However, Ansem is destroyed when the door opens, revealing light. Also beyond the door are Mickey and Riku, who help Sora and his friends close the door before Sora and Mickey lock it with their keyblades from both sides. The worlds lost to the Heartless reconstruct themselves. As the Destiny Island reforms, 
Kyrie returns there while Sora is forced to part with her. Sora, Donald, and Goofy resolve to find Riku and Mickey. In a scene exclusive to Final Mix, Sora's party returns to Hollow Bastion sometime before Ansem's defeat and are alerted to a mysterious portal by the Princesses of Heart. Upon entering it, the party is confronted by a hooded man who samples Sora's memories and tests his strength in battle. Upon being defeated, the hooded figure comments that they're an empty shell before disappearing. Oh, spooky. Yeah, and I think this is, you know, one of those times where we see, and again, if any of you are familiar with some of the Kingdom Hearts lore or have watched like the Brian David Gilbert video, like kind of trying to piece it out in further games, it just kind of goes off the rails and is just insane about who's doing what to who when things happen and who's where, but when they're good and bad. It's very interesting. And I like that they were able to put this remix out that is basically like teasing like, ooh, who was that? You finished the game before, but who was it? this time to kind of get you interested to see if there's going to be more, you know, content coming out in the future, possibly a Kingdom Hearts 2, you know, trying to figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I will say just in this summary, it's a for us, it's actually a lot of detail, I think, for a, a story summary. But there's just so much more that happens in each of these individual yes. worlds that is what really, I think, makes Kingdom Hearts special. With the exception of the two sentences at the beginning that was basically like, they're on the islands and then they leave. That's like five hours of gameplay. That probably could have been 20 <laughs> minutes. But yeah. for whatever reason, it wasn't. So, yeah, two sentences there, five hours of your life. If you want to go back and experience that, very widely available on uh, the PlayStation consoles now. Go and uh, experience mm -hmm. that island life for yourself. Check it out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, one of my favorite things about Kingdom Hearts was the insane music for the commercial. Gets stuck in my head still to this day. Mm hmm Don't know what that song's called. Don't know uh, why it exists, but it's catchy, and I love it. But let's talk about just the music in general for Kingdom Hearts. I just wanted to remind everyone that that music exists, and it's amazing. <laughs> Yoko Shimomura composed the music for the three main Kingdom Hearts games and their remakes. She began composing video game music in 1988 and joined Square in 1993, but left in 2002 to work freelance. In creating music, Shimomura gathers inspiration from different things outside of her daily routine, like traveling or when she is emotionally moved. She has a respect for solo and orchestral pieces such as Piano Sonata No. 7 by Beethoven, Ballade No. 1 by Friedrich Chopin, and La Valse by Maurice Ravel. Shimomura was initially hesitant to handle the music for the first Kingdom Hearts. The mix of a Square-style story and Disney characters made it hard to imagine what the game would be like, which made it difficult to compose the music. Many of the musical pieces are arrangements of Disney themes, 
which Shimomura stated she enjoyed arranging. Shimomura felt a great deal of pressure working on such recognizable tunes and made an effort to maintain the original mood and atmosphere of them while complying with the technical specifications of the PS2. For example, the original orchestrated arrangement of the song This Is Halloween from The Nightmare Before Christmas was impossible to reproduce on the PS2 sound system. To keep aspects of it intact, Shimomura used a trial and error method to arrange the piece. In creating original music, Shimomura wanted to create compositions that would make players feel good while playing to accompany the action aspect of Kingdom Hearts. She played the game and looked over scripts and illustrations for inspiration. And after coming up with ideas, she discussed them with director Tetsuya Nomura and the game planners. In retrospect, Shimomura has stated that the Kingdom Hearts series combined the scenes and music well, and she felt very honored her music has entered into people's hearts. You think that was an intentional quote? Because mm. I sure do. <laughs> she has also commented that she enjoyed working on the project despite its hardships and is proud of the work. Now, the two main theme songs were written and performed by Japanese-American artist Hikaru Utada. They wrote two versions for each, one in Japanese and one in English. The latter is used for international releases of the game. Hikari and Passion are the Japanese version theme songs for Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts 2, respectively, while their English counterparts are called Simple and Clean and Sanctuary. Utada was the only singer Nomura had in mind for the first Kingdom Hearts theme song. He considered Utada an iconic young singer whose music could break language and international barriers. Their involvement, along with the first song's Japanese title, was announced in January 2002. Utada's involvement with the sequel was announced in July of 2005. Nomura chose not to have a different singer perform the second theme song because he believed fans associated Utada with Kingdom Hearts. And that does make sense. If we're trying to continue that story and you want some continuity with it, even though it's very minor and I don't see fans, at least English fans, I'm speaking specifically from the United States, I don't think a lot of people would see that, but they would definitely hear it. As, as, you know, having the same singer come up with that for the following game. Absolutely. Utada derived their inspiration from the worlds and characters in Kingdom Hearts. They also received written explanations of the stories from Nomura. Nomura stated that the vocals of the second theme tie in more closely with the game's story than Hikari, Simple and Clean, did with Kingdom Hearts and Kingdom Hearts' Chain of Memories. Conversely, Nomura commented that Utada's theme songs influenced several factors in creating the games. The Kingdom Hearts games feature music that ranges from dark to cheerful to sorrowful. Several musical pieces are included that have either met with a positive reception or were already well known, mostly from Disney films. Such pieces include Mickey Mouse Club March by Jimmy Dodd, Winnie the Pooh by Robert B. Sherman and Richard M. Sherman, This is Halloween by Danny Elfman, He's a Pirate by Jeff Zeleny, Klaus Badet and Hans Zimmer, and Beauty and the Beast by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Other well-known tracks include Night on Bald Mountain, which is a rendered A Night of the Bear Mountain by Modest Masorski, and a remixed version of One-Winged Angel by Final Fantasy series composer Nobuo Umatsu. The soundtracks feature a mix of piano and orchestral pieces. The main themes differ from the other music in that they are pop songs, 
and this series also features several vocal songs, the most notable being, obviously, our two themes. Kingdom Hearts' original soundtrack is the official soundtrack for the video game Kingdom Hearts. I like the title. Mm-hmm. It's good. It intrigues me. <laughs> you know what you're getting. It was first released in Japan on March 27, 2002 by Toshiba EMI, and later released in Europe on November 25, 2002 by Virgin Records and the United States on March 23, 2003 by Walt Disney Records. The orchestral music was arranged by Kaoru Wada and performed by the New Japan Philharmonic Orchestra. The soundtrack is a two-CD set which contains most of the music in the original version of the game, along with two bonus tracks. Because Kingdom Hearts Final Mix was released after the soundtrack, additional tracks from it were not included. The single, Hikari, was released in Japan on March 20, 2002 and proved to be very popular. By August 2002, it had sold over 860,000 copies in Japan, and the Kingdom Hearts soundtrack was released on a two-CD set on March 27, 2002 in Japan and a year later in the United States. The soundtrack was later included in the Kingdom Hearts original soundtrack Complete, which was released in Japan on March 28, 2007. So, five years to the day. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously we have, we talked about it earlier, a pretty good voice cast. And that features many well-known voice actors from both the Japanese and English versions. The Japanese version features Miyu Irino as Sora, Risha Uchida as Kairi, and Mamaru Miyano as Riku. Other voice actors include Kochi Yamadera, Hideo Ishikawa, and Maya Sakamoto. A special effort was made to preserve the official voice actors of characters from the Disney movies used in Kingdom Hearts. Some of the voice actors from the related television series or direct-to-video sequels were chosen over the original voice actors from films where applicable, such as Dan Castellaneta as Genie rather than Robin Williams. The English version features Haley Joe Osment as Sora, David Gallagher as Riku, and Hayden Panettiere as Kyrie. Other voice actors include Billy Zane, Christy Carlson Romano, David Boreanaz, James Woods, and Mandy Moore. So yeah, some big names for a video game. You know, kind of interesting because in one way, this is a sort of an a experiment. You know, this is Frankenstein's yeah. monster that they're trying to put into a, a Disney video game. And hey, I mean, you got that Disney money, I guess. They want authenticity. Get these big names in there. They know the performances really matter. I, I think that's really cool. I was kind of surprised by not the fact that they didn't get Robin Williams to do Genie, mm-hmm. but because famously Robin Williams did... He did so much for Genie, like outside of Aladdin. He recorded mm-hmm. a bunch of, of takes so that they could use it in merchandising so that he never had to go and do it again. I'm surprised that there wasn't enough of that left over to be able to use it for this, but maybe there was something like they weren't technically allowed to because video games weren't part of that arrangement or something like that. But he famously did all this extra material just so that situations like this they would have his performance yeah and and it may be like they said with using television series directed video sequels because that's also the quote-unquote newer media it's probably also cheaper um but that might be the more well-known voice at the time you know who, who knows what the contracts were and 
and how those kind of panned out in the end. Yeah, but it's interesting. But yeah, I mean, some some huge names, I think, and especially like some well-known Disney names, Christy Carlson Romano, even Stevens, of course, mm-hmm. James Woods as Hades uh, does such a phenomenal job in that Hercules animated movie mm-hmm. to not have him as Hades in the game. Absolutely no way. Glad they did it. A lot of fun. Let's talk about the release versions, which we've touched on a little bit, but there was the final mix. Originally released only in Japan on December 26, 2002, and it has several events and a number of gameplay tweaks that are not in the previous releases. Spoken dialogue is in English, with Japanese subtitles. New scenes clarifying certain plot points such as Riku's journey and foreshadowing of Kingdom Hearts 2 are included, but no new dialogue was recorded. A gameplay option allows the player to skip cutscenes after seeing them once, which should be an option in all video games. Absolutely. The optional bosses first included in the English version were introduced to Japanese players for the first time, along with a new fight against Unknown Man in an attempt to raise interest for the sequel. And another attempt at foreshadowing, a video titled Another Side, Another Story, Deep Dive, plays at the ending if the player accomplishes certain tasks. New music tracks incorporated were Disappeared and Another Side. The Night on Bald Mountain and One-Winged Angel tracks from the English version were included as well. Other changes include new abilities, new weapons, new items, additional and recolored enemies, and gameplay tweaks to make the game easier for the player, along with two new levels of difficulty. When first released, Final Mix included either a deck of Kingdom Hearts cards or a special music CD. A limited platinum edition version of Kingdom Hearts Final Mix was later released with an action figure of Sora, a sticker set, and sketches of some of the main characters. So we also had the HD 1.5 remix. During August 2011, Nomura expressed desire to release a high-definition re-release of the game, though he had not yet to confirm such plans. In September of 2012, a little over a year later, Square Enix announced Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix, a compilation for the PlayStation 3 that includes both Kingdom Hearts Final Mix and Kingdom Hearts RE or Reply Chain of Memories in HD and contained trophy support. The character models from Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance were used as a base for the game's characters. The gameplay of the original Kingdom Hearts was modified to play more like Kingdom Hearts 2. Additionally, the collection includes HD cinematic scenes from Kingdom Hearts 358-2 days. I I, I gotta pause it here. These are the dumbest naming conventions that have ever existed in gaming, and there's a lot of Japanese games that, that, that go with this, but I do enjoy, because... The, the naming of Kingdom Hearts, again, this is Alex's soapbox. The naming of Kingdom Hearts games <laughs> is like my final reviews for games. It's basically just like, ah, Kingdom Hearts 358 <laughs> divided by two days. And like, yeah. that's the name of the game. And, and it, it makes no sense. Anyway, it was released in Japan on March 14th, 2013, in North America on September 10th, 2013, and in Australia on the 12th, and Europe on the 13th. Now, in June yeah. of 2013, Oh, good, good. Sorry, I, I just want to say, I mean, this is definitely in line, I think, with Square Enix yes. naming. Because Final Fantasy, it's the same thing where everything is just numbered. But then occasionally they'll, they'll do the, I don't know, they'll throw a, like a Roman numeral plus a number in there. Yes. They'll do something weird. 
different where parts they, of it. Yeah, they they want to keep the name for the series, which I guess I understand, but you know, like Fire Emblem does that, but then it just gives it a little like sub name. They don't Yeah. Just just keeping the sub cuz cuz technically, when we're recording this at this point, there's three Kingdom Hearts. Technically, there are three right. Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> but right. there are so many of them that share these names. All right. Off my soapbox now. But anyway, <laughs> Kingdom Hearts, I hate your naming. Uh, now, in June of 2013, Nomura stated that the original game assets for Kingdom Hearts had been lost some time ago. He explained, quote, The game data was lost, so we had to research, and we had to dig out from the actual game what was available and recreate everything for HD. We had to recreate all the graphics, and it was actually not that easy. In October of 2016, though, Square Enix announced a single-disc compilation release of Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix and Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix for the PlayStation 4. That was released on March 9th, 2017 in Japan, March 28th in North America, and the 31st in Europe. Additional pieces of free downloadable content for the PS4 version released in June 2017 added a theater mode for Kingdom Hearts Final Remix and an extended scene for Kingdom Hearts 358 I don't know what the name of this is. I'm going to soapbox again. Is it 358 divided by 2? 358 2? Anyway, that, there's that many days. It's whatever. Finally, on November 14th, 2019, Square Enix announced that both Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 Remix and Kingdom Hearts HD 2.5 Remix were coming to Xbox One. So this is the first time that we're seeing that kind of branching off from that PlayStation name. And it was the first debut to get those spinoffs and the original first two games. And so those two games are combined into a collection titled, now hear me out, Derek, Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 Remix. And that was released February 18th, 2020. There is just a, a cheapness to when I see these games at the store, and, and I have seen these, and I can appreciate compilations of things, but sure. There is nothing appealing on that box about Kingdom Hearts HD 1.5 plus 2.5 remix. Yes. You know, it sounds like one of those super cheap like games that you really it's just space on a shelf. You buy it because it's cheap. It's kind of like a weird out there game. I, I like I just I have no no interest in this on this alone. If I didn't know what Kingdom Hearts was, I'd be like, okay. No, I'm not going anywhere near this game. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's very valid with it. It almost, it almost seems like DLC. Kingdom Hearts yeah. 1.5 plus 2.5 this. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, sorry, I was actually Googling as, as we're going about this. I was Googling the longest game names of all time. Um, there are very many Final Fantasy games on here. Um, but the one that I was thinking that came to mind that reminds me of this is Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix. And so it's kind of using those like crazy long names to have like an idea of like a re-release, but it's an update, but it's not at the same time. Anyway, back to you, Derek, back to the original reporting. <laughs> well, one of the things that I think is interesting, Nomura stating that they lost all the game assets and had to recreate so much of that. Yes. I, I think most gamers that get HD versions sort of want this to be the mode of operation. Like, they don't want yeah. you to just take the original code and just sort of reskin it and update it and charge full price for it. They want you to at least go back and rebuild a lot of these things. Sure. 
So I find it interesting, though, that, you know, he he sort of describes that as being a very challenging process for them. But I think that most people that buy these remastered games, that's not necessarily the expectation, but it is the desire, I think, for a lot of these games. Yeah. And whether it's full built or not, you still want some source code to go by. So kind of having to like rebuild a lot of that, um, I think it's huge. But I think it paid off in the end. I mean, allowed for these HD remixes to come out, allowed it to expand out to different console systems. It allowed for a lot of potential Kingdom Hearts fans who never owned a Sony product to now enter into this foray with the all of these updates in it, making it feel like a brand new experience for them, especially with Kingdom Hearts 3 coming out. I mean, it made sense to kind of expand that out to other systems and capitalize on that market and to better experience it in a almost better methodology being able to add the new cutscenes, being able to add updates and gameplay elements that gave it that quality of life that it necessarily didn't have in kingdom hearts one to be kingdom hearts one again but with that updated system we see that in games where like mass effect and dragon age one um in both of those those combat systems are kind of scrapped when we get updates into two and so that's kind of that quality of life update that we're vaguely seeing here in kind of almost the same methodology. Yeah. And very, very interesting to me that the game data could be lost, that it was lost. You would think that when we got out of the like hard data, like when they used to take old films and TV shows and just because the film was expensive, they would just like record over them, you know, like some of the early Super Bowls and things like that. They don't actually have any footage of that because they just recorded over him because that's what they did in TV. You would think when we got into this digital age of everything that this stuff wouldn't get lost, but famously Toy Story 1, I believe, one of the Toy Stories got totally deleted, and the only reason Mm -hmm. they were able to save that movie was because someone was out sick and working on the project from home and had a backup on their computer that was not connected to the network. Yep. And, you know, for something else to happen to a Disney IP in a way, I think is kind of interesting. Is this a, is this a Disney thing? Is this a Square Enix thing? Is this just a one-off accident? I don't know, but I find it really interesting that it could happen at all. Yeah, absolutely. Kingdom Hearts received critical acclaim from sales figures. During the first two months of its North American release, it was one of the top three highest-selling video games and was among the top-selling titles during the 2002 Christmas and holiday season. At the end of April 2003, Square announced that Kingdom Hearts had sold its millionth copy in the U.S., which made it eligible for PlayStation's greatest hit status, and it had sold over 3 million worldwide. Sales reached 1.2 million in Japan in the first quarter of 2004 and broke 4 million worldwide. As of November 2021, the Kingdom Hearts series has shipped over 35 million copies worldwide. The game received critical acclaim among reviewers. In IGN's Best of 2002 awards, it was nominated for PS2's Best Game of 2002 Editor's Choice Award and was a runner-up for PS2's Best Game of 2002 Reader's Choice Award. In 2007, the website listed Kingdom Hearts as the 22nd best PlayStation 2 game of all time, and critics commended the visuals, orchestral score, voice acting, and hybrid action-adventure and role-playing feel to the game, with acclaim for its mix of Square and Disney elements. Criticism about the gameplay was mixed. Many reviews complained that the camera was at times frustrating, and the gummy ship portions were out of place. 
GameSpot cited tedious gameplay and gummy ship sections as pale imitations of the Star Fox series. I did not write for GameSpot. <laughs> that wasn't me. But stated that the combat was fun, particularly the boss fights. Dengeki Online commented on the camera controls, saying that the camera would often run into objects while being rotated by the player. GamePro compared the battle system to old N64 Zelda games and had positive comments about Donald and Goofy's artificial intelligence. GameSpot commented that the concept of mixing the series elements of Final Fantasy with the lighter elements of Disney seemed impossible, but was pulled off quite well. Because of that, they awarded Kingdom Hearts best crossover since Capcom versus SNK in their 2002 Best and Worst of the Year awards. GameSpy noted that the periodic departure from the main plot into the Disney side stories was disappointing, and when the original plot built to a climax, quote, the story fails to gel thanks to a confusing mismatch of vague terms and symbolism that properly made more sense in the director's head than in this final product. Aside from the plot, they stated that the overall package was worth playing through to the end. And now the soundtrack has met with an overall positive reception. IGN listed the opening track for Kingdom Hearts, Dearly Beloved, as number four of their top 10 list of RPG title tracks. In their Best of 2002 awards, Kingdom Hearts was nominated for the Best Sound in a PlayStation 2 game Editor's Choice Award and was runner-up for the Reader's Choice Award as well. So as we come to a close, we see the impact that Kingdom Hearts has and within reviews can see some rocky shakeups that definitely made that quality of life build into Kingdom Hearts 2 much more worth it. But speaking on the first game, Derek, let the people know, why did we choose it and what do you think of it? Yeah, I mean, this game was just a great crossover. It, um, it took those Disney elements, like we talked about, it combined them with Final Fantasy, of course. Yeah, it did all that. But making that stuff believable, making the Disney worlds feel like they're not just limited areas of the movie, you know, and being able to explore that stuff. There's like a, a feeling that almost reminds me of when you go to Disney World mm -hmm. and you go there and you see all that stuff and you're kind of in it and you know it's not quite the movie, but it is in a way just like giving you a different perspective on sort of what those movies could be as an actual world. And I think that Kingdom Hearts does a really cool job of letting you experience that, um, of course, through Sora, not through your own first-person perspective. Sure. But that feeling, I think, is really unique and fun. Um, the gameplay itself, I think, is simple enough to where you don't have to be like a crazy good RPG turn-based strategist to be successful at this game. You just have mm -hmm. to know a little bit about what the roles are for each character and try and execute those things as best as you can. I do think that this game actually gets a little difficult at times, more so than you would expect, especially if you don't know what those roles really need to be. One of the comparisons that was made to the old N64 Zelda um, combat systems, I think that's a really great comparison because there are moments in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask where you're locked on an enemy and you're kind of spinning around and then something like gets you from behind, something that you can't really see. You, you're limited in the controls in that regard, but you have to 
be focused really in on whatever object you're trying to hit in order to be successful. So there's little sure. things about this game that I think are a product of its, its time that make it somewhat difficult to play. But all that stuff is completely overshadowed by just how unique and fun they made this. Like the cutscenes between Donald and Goofy legitimately make me laugh out loud sometimes just because they have that comedic Disney charm. And, mm -hmm. and I think going through and getting actual voice actors for these people and trying to keep it as authentic as possible is what ultimately made this game a success. I'm going to give this game probably an 8 out of 10 because I agree with some of the criticisms with the camera angles. You know, it's games like this that sometimes the spinning quality makes me feel a little seasick. Also, the gummy ship aspect of it felt a little contrived, like a little forced, I think. Sure. Um, so those are my negative takeaways, which there, there's not really a lot. I really love this game. Um, what about you? Yeah, Kingdom Hearts for me was a game I never wanted to like. Uh, when I first saw the idea of Disney and Square coming together to make a weird mix of Final Fantasy characters with Disney characters, I, I just thought, th there's no way. There's no way this is going to be good. There's no way this is going to happen. And for it to actually work and get better with age, like I, I think each iteration of Kingdom Hearts has actually made it better, at least in the main line, one, two, and three, have really built on that. Um, now, I, I will comment as Kingdom Hearts as a whole, especially the, I don't want to say expansions, but kind of the side games that try and build more story or try and retcon story. I don't think a lot of those are necessary, but I think if you wanted to play through like one, two, and three, that is a great grouping of games, whether it's on the HD remixes or some OGs. It's fantastic. So I, I think it spawned a series that none of us asked for, none of us wanted but in the end became something that really has a mainstay and broke away from Final Fantasy. It wasn't just the turn-based, pick your moves, do this thing. And, and Final Fantasy has, has expanded far beyond that at this point. I mean, look at the, you know, 7 remake compared to OG7. Like, there's definitely some huge jumps in that. But to have this now and, and to have such a cool idea for crossovers and for being able to use these IPs in ways that I don't think people thought of, I thought was ingenious. Um, I, I think, like you said, in criticisms, there's definitely some updates that happened up into two and, and made it a better game in that point. But in the OG, just kind of felt clunky at times. But it doesn't take away from the greatness of it. So if I had to give it a rating, I would give it a quack quack here and a goofy sound, goofy sound <laughs> here, because um, he's either a dog or a cow or kind of whatever people think he is, um, out of the typical depressing story that comes from a, a JRPG, but built into the funness of Disney. But Disney is also dark at times. We know that from the fables that come out of Disney uh, out of 10. It's true. They are secretly dark. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we haven't mentioned is Sora made his way into Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. And I think that true. once you get into that world, as a protagonist, as like a action character, you've definitely established yourself as an all-time classic. You done made it. Listen, any game that has Minecraft Steve in it, you know is a great game. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> <laughs>
Research for this episode was done by Alex Kindle and Derek Baker. The intro and outro music was recorded and given to us by our friend Evan Barr. And the artwork that is very purple, very lovely, was given to us by Aaron Shattuck. Beautiful people there, as well as the beautiful people listening right now. You're all amazing. If you'd like to support us further, you can check us out at patreon.com slash finish the fight. There we have physical and digital rewards, as well as access to our gaming servers, our D&D campaign, and plenty of other cool rewards that we have built out for you. Um, if you have any questions, you can let us know, but check us out there. And we want to thank a select group of patrons today with Sky the Bear, Duststorm, Snide T-Bird, That LL Gamer Guy, Nick Hyman, Climbing Spork, Lee Tom John, Keller Kane, and Brian Yost. Thank you all so much for your support. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or most likely your favorite podcast listening platform. If you haven't yet, drop us a review. It helps us out a lot, and we love to hear from you. You can check us out on Twitch. You can see me at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That's twitch.tv slash s-o-u-r-m-a-n-7-0. As well as Derek at twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. That is twitch.tv slash thebakerman247. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter. We're also on Discord. It is free to join. Alex and I are hanging out in there all the time. We're talking games, talking movies, talking TV, talking about pretty much whatever we want. It's a lot of fun, and we'd love to see you there. And with that, this has been our coverage of Kingdom Hearts. Do you think it lives up to the status that it has? Is it, is it a worthy crossover in your opinion? What are some other crossovers that you want us to check out? Let us know. As always, I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I'm your host, Haley Joel Osman. And this has been Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast.